read more than we want to read. And everything I'm about to share with you has already been said. And uh, some of you may have, if you haven't readers, may have already almost read everything that I've looked at. But Faith Baptist Church, I want you to know a little bit about what we are and what we should do and what are our responsibilities. And uh, that's the heart of my message, what shall we do. But, uh, so I'm going to be talking about the Supreme Court's decision on homosexual marriage. Usually in this church, we're doing exposition of a particular scripture. We're not doing that today. Now, uh, when we think about the Supreme Court's decision, folks, uh, things are different now in this country. They were different before, but this is the culmination, in a way, of a direction that this country and the leadership has been going. And those who are in charge, the politicians, the court, it's, it's different now. It's not like it used to be. In fact, uh, this is the first time that I believe that the courts have so clearly, in this decision, passed a decree that sin is now the law of the land. Sin is now the law of the land. And folks... Uh, we are in trouble. But to get us thinking right to begin with, I have some verses I'm going to put up on the screen, and, and I just want to read them to you and follow along to be thinking what Scripture has to say. And the first one is Psalm 33, 12, the first part of that verse. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Which means that when, when our nation follows God and his principles, God blesses. Second Chronicles 7.14 talks about the way back when we get way off track. And it says, If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Isaiah 5.20 tells us, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Psalm 9.17 tells us, The wicked shall be turned into hell and all nations that forget God. These are all Scary verses, really. Romans 1.18 talks about through verse 32. But verse 32 is the culmination of this, and it says, Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. That's what the Supreme Court just decided. Romans 1.16, though, is the bottom line. What are we going to do with all those verses? Uh, Romans 1.16, I'm reading from the New Living Translation. 
Therefore, I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile. We're talking about the Supreme Court's decision, and my outline is real simple because I'm a simple person. I like it simple. So here's my outline. What happened? It's a form of five questions. What happened? Number two, what did you expect? Number three, what's happening? Number four, what's next? And number five, what shall we do? So, Hold on. Here we go. Uh, what, what, what happened? In a long-sought victory for the gay rights movement, the Supreme Court ruled by a 5-4 to four vote on Friday, June 26, that the Constitution guaranteed the right to same-sex marriage. Now, this is not a sermon about homosexuality and the fact that it's sin, and I'm not sharing all the verses that prove that that is something that God uh, abhors, it's something that he hates. This is not a sermon about that. But it's a sermon about what are we going to do. In what happened, Chief Justice Roberts, in a dissent, wrote, he didn't agree with it, by the way, so he wrote, to those who were celebrating their victory, and here's what he said. Celebrate the achievement of a desired goal. Celebrate the opportunity for a new expression of commitment through partner. Celebrate the availability of new benefits, but do not celebrate the Constitution. It had nothing to do with it. The decision had nothing to do with it. He also said that the major opinion was an act of will, not legal judgment. That is, it is a personal choice and preference, not based on law. He also goes on to say, the court invalidates the marriage laws of more than half the states and orders the transformation of a social institution that has formed the basis of human society for thousands of years. For the Kalahari Bushmen, the Han Chinese, the Carthaginians, the Aztecs, and I would say the Jews and the Christians. And then he said, just who do we think Listen to this. No human court has the, has the authority nor the power to redefine marriage. And the verdict on June 26, 2015, does not change the God-ordained reality of marriage. God was not defeated in this ruling. And 
every marriage will be judged according to biblical grounds on that last day. Nothing but nothing will stop God, and nothing can prevail against Him. And no court can make a decision that goes against God and, and, and is going to win. In Proverbs 21.30, we read in the NIV, No wisdom, no insight, no plan can succeed against the Lord. And I read something this week, and we read so many things, you know, and somebody said, isn't it great to be fighting a losing battle that you're going to win? Because we know we're going to win. Okay, nothing but nothing can prevent the advancement of the kingdom of God. What's, here's what God does. Daniel tells us in 4.35, He does according to His will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of earth, and none can stay or stop his hand. I'm glad to know somebody's in charge around here. It's not me, and it's not the Supreme Court. So that brings me to the next question. What did you expect? Uh, I kind of got this point from the title of a book that Paul Tripp wrote. And it was a book on marriage. And the title says, What Did You Expect? It's really good, by the way. You ought to read it sometime. And the thesis of the book is this. One sinner marries another sinner, and they start acting like sinners. What did you expect? You know, the Bible tells us what sinful man is like. And the only reason he doesn't behave as bad as he could is because of the restraints the Lord has put on him and because of the presence of the Holy Spirit here in the hearts and the lives of believers. Okay? That's what stops him. The Bible presents the truth that the human heart is deeply embedded with wickedness and corruption. Now, as I say these things I'm going to say now, I, you say, well, I haven't really seen it that way. I don't understand this. Why? Why? You know, people aren't that bad. Think about it a little bit and realize that the more freedom they have, any one of us almost, to be bad, the better we get. You know, so the Bible says that all are sinners, all for, fall short of the glory of God. The glory of God is just perfection, okay? We know that man is evil, not only in his behavior, he is evil in his thinking, he's evil in his intention. Every part of him is infected with evil. He's evil to the core. He is desperately wicked. That's what Jeremiah said. Jeremiah said the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? The New Living 
translation says it like this, the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? Man is characterized by sin and iniquity and transgression and nothing he does pleases God when it comes to his salvation. The biblical definition of this, the theological term that is used is man is depraved. The depravity of man is a doctrine of its own. You know, evil and sin affects everything a man does, everything he touches. And then, including in that, it's compounded, compounded by the presence of Satan and his demons or his angels who orchestrate evil upon the face of the earth. Satan and his angels, the world, the flesh, and the devil are bent to help us this self-destruct. It, it's interesting to note that God created the world and earth everything that's in it in Genesis 1. And by Genesis chapter 6, he destroys every living thing on the face of the earth. Six chapters later. And actually, really, uh, the fall doesn't come until chapter 3. So, so in those chapters, he has to destroy the whole thing. Do you know why he destroyed it? Because the deeds and the thoughts of men were evil continually. And in, uh, in the book of Genesis, in chapter 19, it was the sinfulness of men that led to God destroying the cities of the plain, what most of you know as, as Sodom and Gomorrah. And the chief sin of that time, of that town, was homosexuality. And that ought to tell you a little bit about what God thinks about that particular sin. There's such a massive evil everywhere present, loose in this world and in human life, that if it weren't God, for God putting restraints on it, it would be a horrible place to live, really bad. That there are places they tell me in uh, that main city in southern Brazil, like Mile Square, that the police don't go anywhere because they fear for their life. Uh, people don't go in there because mankind in there is free to be far more worse than the rest of them outside of that square. And, and truthfully, I grew up in, in, in Flint. We used to go downtown Flint, and I used to walk down Saginaw Street, and I used to walk across Flint, and I used to hitchhike down Carpenter Road and hitchhike, you know, uh, across the Broadway Street, and, and just... All, all over down there, and I never thought anything, but folks, I'm not going there now. It seems to me that the restraints somehow have been taken away. 
branch may down or fall away. Okay? Now, I think that God has to provide restraints uh, in order to keep us fenced in to our righteousness. Um, I, I like the idea of an invisible fence. And God has an invisible fence that keeps us from getting worse. But that invisible fence is the Holy Spirit that you can't see. Uh, by the way, what is sin? Sin is man going beyond the bounds, beyond the borders, beyond the established laws. The Bible says sin is lawlessness. God gives us the law. He gives us the rules. Sin is lawlessness. Living without laws, it is rebellion. And in the heart of every man and woman is a heart of a rebel. And we want to kick against that which is God wants us to do. You know, the problem in our city problem in our state, the problem in our nation is not circumstances. It is not economics. It's not poverty. It's not lack of education. The problem is inside the heart of a man. The destructive reality is the rebel sinner. And he's the only kind in our world. And if it wasn't for the Lord, again, we would self-destruct. The heart of the matter is a matter of the heart. we got a heart problem. And bad decisions by our leaders, the problem is a matter of the heart. And bad hearts make bad decisions. And selfish hearts make selfish decisions. And proud hearts make proud decisions. And defensive hearts make defensive decisions. Sin is the problem, and it's everywhere. It destroys everything that is good. It destroys everything that is noble, everything that is right, everything that is just. All men are sinners. Fallen man is so bad, so selfish, and so destructive, and so unkind, and it runs so deep that God had to place in society some restraints, and he built them in. And here are four restraints that God has put in society by his spirit and by his law. The first one is the law of God written on the heart. Every, Romans 1 tells us, every human being has the knowledge of right and wrong written on the heart. Sometimes raising children and trying to deal with something with them and they want to tell you something is right but it's wrong and you know that they don't have it right. And, and, and I have used this and I've appealed to them. And I said, in your heart of hearts, you know that. Generally, they figure it out. You know, you appeal to that conscience that God gave them. That's a that's a restraint. It's a law written on the heart, and the tool is the conscience. He 
glad that God gave you a conscience. The second restraint of God in the world is parental restraint. The family restraint. And God has designed, designed fathers and mothers to operate well-ordered families to maintain order in the home and ultimately order in society. And the tool they have to help them do the job is the rod, the paddle. And uh, when you have parents who refuse to use the tool that God has given, uh, they're missing out and perhaps missing out on their responsibility. You know, my, my mother... I don't want to hold her up as the standard, but she gave me a licking with a switch almost every night of my life. And, and honestly, I knew every time she did it, she was right. I knew I deserved what she was doing. And it's not because I had a poor self-image. It was because I disobeyed. And she wanted to correct me. And the object of discipline is loving correction. And she understood that. In fact, she said, just for the record, she gave me all, she, she gave me more lickings than she did all the other eight kids put together. That's a family joke. But it's true. The third level of Control, restraint that God has given us in society is the government. And government is given by God with the power and authority to control our lives collectively. And, and, and there are all kinds of government that we live with. There are forms of government in your business, in your communities, in towns, in cities, in states, in nations, in the world. And the tool that the government has to help do its job is a sword. Romans 13, read it sometime. The tool of the personal law of God in the heart, then, is the conscience. The tool of the family is the rod. The tool of government is the sword. And that's a lethal weapon. And it exercises that sword under divine command. And then the fourth restraint in the world is the church, the people of God. The church is to be salt and light. We are to make a difference. And we are to be different. We are to have an impact. And the tool that the church has is the gospel, the word of God. Now listen, this is most powerful tool of all. More power than the sword, more power than the rod, more power than the conscience, because it is the Word of God under the Spirit of God that gives life and changes the heart and the direction of the heart of the man. Gives us a new heart. That's why we have to share this gospel, because it is the answer, and it's the only answer. And I want to tell you about man. 
puts those restraints in place. And did you know people fight against restraints? They don't like them. Again, I told you I, I, I got all those lickings from my mother. I, I earned every one. Let me tell you how I earned them. I wasn't really a bad kid. I didn't smoke. I didn't chew. I didn't get into drinking. You know, I didn't swear. I just was a rebel. And my mother would tell me not to do something. And I would do it. And she would get in and say, Jackie, why did you do that? I would look right at her and say, I want to see what you do. And she would say, before you go to bed, you're going to get a licking. And she never forgot. I don't care if it happened at one in the afternoon. I got to think about that all day. And even if I went to bed real good, real quiet, she'd come in and get me back and go get me a switch. I had to go cut my own switch. A cruel mother. One, one day, I, I came in with a, a little thing about that long. She laughed. Said Jackie, go get me two more. So, but I'm talking about rebellion. It was like I didn't want anybody to tell me what to do. I had this rebellion built in. I I had this wonderful girl in my eighth grade class. I'm I'm wandering a little bit here, but I had this wonderful girl in my eighth grade class, and I had this big football coach, big heavy guy. And that was back in the day when teachers used paddles. And he, his was bigger than anybody else's. But I said to this girl in my eighth grade class, you got a pencil? And she said, yeah. I said, can I borrow it? And she said, okay. And she handed it to me. I broke it in half. Gave it back and said, thanks. <laughs> she now, here's where the rebel comes in. She told the teacher, can you believe that? He, he, he called me up front, and he had me bend over and grab my ankles. And he took that big board, and he gave me five whacks. I stood up, I looked at him, and I said, are you through? That's the rebel. He said, no. Bend over. And he gave me 12 more. And when I stood up, the tears were running down my face. And he said, is there anything else you would like to say? <laughs> hey, hey, what? But I was still a rebel. And by the way, I'm not the only rebel in the bunch. We all have a bit of that in us. Because we don't like we want to do it our way. We want to do it like that song that was so popular, I did it my way. That's built into all of us because we're sinners. And we fight against the law of God. We fight against our conscience. We fight against...
against the family. We fight against government. We fight against Christianity. No wonder we have such a battle. And it goes on all the time. And without these restraints, man would self-destroy. But I got bad news. He's going to, in this country, self-destruct. Let me tell you why. When you have a government like ours, a democracy like ours, where people can vote their own laws into place, and they're fighting these restraints, when they get to the place where they can do it, they will vote against those restraints. And eventually, the restraints will be removed as far as God gives them to us because we are removing them with our vote. Unless it's a God-led vote. When they remove God out of our schools and they begin to take God out of our colleges and they begin to take the name of God out of everything, the more they take God out, the more ungodly we become. Ungodly means without God. And the more we are without God, the more we want to serve ourselves. So, the next point is what's happening. Well, I got some things down here that are happening. Uh, I'm just going to say them fast because we're running out of time. But, But we are Our society is fascinated with living for pleasure. We are driven by selfishness. We suffer from the evil of materialism. I want more, and I want more. Get all you can, can all you get. You know, uh, most of us could go into our house and purge a lot of stuff. If you haven't used it in five years, you know, make a pile out front. If you haven't used it in five years, put it in a pile. You'd be amazed at what you put in that pile. Materialism. Covetousness. And then uh, immorality. We live in a society that is steeped in immorality. First. Thessalonians 4, 3 says, God's will is for you to be holy. So stay away from sexual sin. This is the New Living Translation. Then each of you will control his own body and live in holiness and honor, not in lustful passion like the pagans who do not know God and His word. This nation is driven by lust and passion. It's it's a sex-driven, lust-driven nation. Our culture happens to be corrupt morally. The biggest business out there is pornography. For fornication is everywhere. Infidelity is laughed at. Adultery 
is approved of. Homosexuality is 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 lauded and praised, and people clap about that. And, and the smashing and crushing of the family and the number of children. You know, I read this week of the number of children that are born out of wedlock and homes without fathers, like something we've never seen before. And and everywhere we see this subject promoted in the music and in the rap music and in the movies and in the books and in popular movies and on television. There's nowhere you can go without running into it. Folks, the restraint isn't there. And then there's prejudice. And there's the loss of respect for authority. Isn't that sad that if a group of people decide they don't like the authority, they can do what they want? And now we have uh, police killings. And, I mean, what, whatever you don't like, you don't have to respect. If you don't like the authority, shoot it. And then I think this is really a bad one. The lack of good character, let alone godly character, in our leaders. They don't think God's thoughts after them. They think their own thoughts. In fact, I often think that people don't even care. And many Christians don't even care about the character of our leaders. You know what? People vote, even Christians, they vote their pocketbook. If this guy will give me more money, I don't care what he is, as long as I can make more money under his roof. And, and it's, it's kind of sad. I tell you, Christians have a greater responsibility to know who they're voting for and to know their character qualities and to know their godlike qualities than they ever had before. We need to think that way. So then I come to the next question. What's next? What's next? What's going to happen next? Romans 1 tells you what's going to happen next. The Bible says in Romans, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. And then in Romans 1, it says, God gave them up. God gave them over. What you have going on is divine judgment is kicking in. Now, I, I, I understand that there's a, a final judgment, but we're not talking about that. We're talking about God dealing with a nation. We're talking like, uh, like when God deals with a people. And here's God's divine judgment. Here's what's happening. People are fighting against the law of God written on the heart. They're fighting against their own conscience. They're fighting to destroy the family every possible way they can. They're 
there's a rebellion against social order. And there's a fight against biblical truth, biblical Christianity, the gospel, the church. When, 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 when they succeed in doing all of those, you have this truth going on in Romans 1. First of all, God gave them up to sexual immorality. And then secondly, God gave them up to homosexuality. And then third, in Romans 1, he gave them up to a reprobate mind. What does a reprobate mind look like? Well, it's a mind filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness, and on and on and on. They're just about as bad as they can possibly be. And we have this going on. And here's the truth. It's not that God will judge this nation. It's not, why doesn't God judge this nation? The truth is, God is right now judging this nation. Right now. We're watching it before our eyes. So what shall we do? Let me say something before I answer that question. Remember this. This culture is not going to help you do anything that is God-honoring. I'm, I'm talking about this culture, the part of it that is godless and ungodly. I'm talking about those very men who voted to make homosexual marriage a law. Those guys. And people who think that way and people who, who are celebrating that. They're not going to help you and me do anything that's God honoring. They're not going to help us with our personal holiness. In order for you to be holy, the Bible says you need to separate yourself from that. You need to be careful who you run with. It's so sad that we come to this because I, I actually remember being a boy. That was a great time. I, I wish all of you could have lived in the 50s. That was America's heaven, almost. When I was growing up, there was a cultural morality that had been passed on. There were unbelievers and there were ungodly people, but the impact of the Word of God on our nation was still going on. There was a cultural dignity. There was a cultural respect for authority. There was such a thing as honor. There was such a thing as honesty. There was such a thing as respect for religion. When I started pastoring, even in the late 60s, if I went to your house and knocked on the door, you invited me in and you gave me a chair and you treated me like I was somebody important. somebody has our president come on the TV station and they say, hey dude, no respect. No 
these people aren't going to help you, your ungodly enemies, because they're going to hate what you love, and they're going to love the things that you hate. They're not going to help you in your personal life. Parents, get this. The ungodly world out there is not going to help you in your parenting. They're not going to help you through the toys they make for your kids. They're not going to help you through the entertainment they provide for your kids. They're not going to help you through the schools. Well, we've seen this already. I'm not telling you anything new. They're not going to help you through the phone and through games and through the iPod and the iPad and other media. That's not their goal. And that doesn't mean I'm saying all schools are bad and all teachers are bad, but the ungodly influence that is getting greater and greater, don't expect it to help you. So what are we going to do? Well, here's my message. Matthew 5, 43. Jesus is speaking, and here's what he says. Matthew 5, 43. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. He didn't stop I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. You know what? You're never more like God than when you love your enemy. In fact, you have to love your enemy. You have to love the ungodly. You have to love the people who are doing the very things you hate. The reason you have to do that is because the reason you're not an enemy is because God loved you. And while we were yet enemies, God loved us and reconciled us to himself. And you are nothing but a converted enemy. And we have a wonderful message. Here's the message. The enemy is your mission. Send you across the ocean to have a mission field. You live in the middle of a mission field. The world of enemies was God's mission field. John 3 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That was his mission field, the world, and they hated him. And they despised him, and they and they rejected him, and they persecuted him, and they didn't like the way he thought, and they called him a liar, and they said he was of the devil. But he loved them. He gave himself for them. There's something we need to remember in the midst of all this, because we'd like to change it, but God didn't really call us to be politicians and to change the culture. Here's what we're called to do, and remember this, to convert a sinner from his eternal doom and condemnation is an event far greater, of far greater 
privilege of converting someone to, to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we understand we don't do that, but our job is to present the gospel, the word of God, the good news, and God by his spirit converts them. And to be able to do that has more power than anything else. So what do we do? What shall we then do? Here's what we do. Go into the mission field. Love them the way God loves them. Preach the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. And let the kingdom advance one soul at a time. Now, I often think that we as Christians are guilty of not thinking this works. We're not thinking this is our job. Or thinking that it's somebody else's job. Or thinking that I can't do this. Or thinking that they need to do it. When the truth is, we need to look for opportunities to share the gospel. The book of Proverbs, it says, He that winneth souls is wise. That means to win hearing. That means to Pay attention enough to get next to someone enough so that you become believable and they want to know what you have to say. Here's a quote from John MacArthur, and then I'm done. He says, Romans 1 clearly identifies the evidence for the wrath of God on a nation. Sexual immorality, followed by homosexual immorality, culminating in a reprobate mind. This most recent step, the one by the Supreme Court, reminds us that God's wrath has come in full. We now see reprobate minds at every level of leadership. In the Supreme Court, the presidency, the cabinet, the legislature, the press, and the culture. If our diagnosis is in line with Romans 1, then we must also follow the prescription found in Romans 1. We are not ashamed of the gospel of God, of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. He goes on to say, in this day, it is our divine duty and calling to strengthen the church, strengthen the families, and strengthen the gospel testimony by shredding the pragmatic nonsense that distracts the church from its mission given by God. Homosexuals, like all other sinners, need to be warned of impending eternal judgment and lovingly offered the forgiveness, grace, and new life through repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. What do we do? Share the gospel and give everyone we meet the best offer they could possibly Father, I thank you 
for you. Father, I, I know there's so much more to be said and so much more going on in the minds of the hearers here today. But Father, help us to take this simple idea, what shall we do, and realize that it is important for us to share the good news. stand together and confess that God is our God. He is the God who reigns, and He is the God who still saves. Let's praise Him together. Go out this week knowing that God is on His throne, and go out in His power, and let's take what we've learned today and live it out this week. We'll see you soon.